Good morning, everybody. Good morning, those online. Appreciate Cassie and Jazz giving us a, a insight into their actual life. Um, they're, they're roommates, so they live together. These are common uh, conversations they have, I'm sure, especially Cassie dreaming. If you've ever fasted before, you will dream of food. You might even like wake up doing that. I've literally done that, uh, and we're heading into our uh, global, I should say, prayer and fasting. You know, we're a church that's not just a, a small local church in Houston, Texas, but we are part of a global spiritual family called Every Nation. And we're in 81 countries, and we get to, guys, this is what we get to be a part of every year. Some of you guys that are maybe new to church or maybe never been here before, like fasting, y'all are crazy. Is this a cult? No. Um, we are a part of a global movement where we believe in prayer, fasting, consecration, and we do it at the beginning of the year, and we get to join with 81 other nations together to pray during this time with a theme of abide, we want to abide. We want to remain with a God who made his abode, his home here with us. And so we get to do this and we have a whole way that we do it here at City Life Church in Houston. And I'm sure you saw maybe these booklets on your way in. Uh, this is to help guide you if you would like to join with us. We by no means force anybody or do any kind of specific religious way to do it. We just trust you to do whatever God's calling you to do. And there's even some different forms, ways, how, even help on, on how to get started, how to move forward. So we're taking care of our bodies as we're moving forward. We're going to talk more about that at the end of the service, but wanted to mention that as we get started. Hey, I've missed you guys and those online. I know we had to cancel our Christmas service. Or, or Christmas Eve service and everything going on because we had so many of our volunteers get COVID. In fact, and last, last week I was out because we were trying to recover, doing a little bit better, but slowly recovering because it started with my son. I love my son. Um, and Shadow Creek High School in Pearland, Texas, where he goes, we know that was the center of it all because when we went to go get our daughter tested after we home tested Addison and immediately it was like, yep, um, we went and got our daughter tested and the clinician was like, uh, does she go to Shadow Creek High School? And we were like, yeah. He's like, yeah, she probably has it. Um, this is pretty much what's just happening. And so, yeah, and then it trickled. Me and Casey held strong. We were like, no, we got this. And then slowly it started coming on. The crazy things about what we experienced, and we didn't get to go anywhere for Christmas. We needed to go visit family like we normally do because we were trying to be socially responsible for ourselves and not continue to pass. And we needed to recover as everyone was kind of had different symptoms. My son had a little bit of fever. My daughter had a little bit of fever. Everyone fatigue and different things. Um, but everyone was so different. Mine started. I was getting this scooter I got for uh, Jackson, my 10-year-old. And I was beginning. I wasn't picking anything up. I was just putting the scooter together and my back went out. And I've got Pastor G like texting me, bro, you working out? Dude, you lifting weights? And I'm like, no, I've got a heater on my back. And he's like, man, you're old. And I'm like, I know. And I thought, man, what's wrong with me? What is going on? And then I started having these crushing pressure and pains in my chest. Like if I could just stretch it, just crack it open, it would help. And so I got on a teledoc with a doctor and he's like, yeah, that's COVID. I'm like, oh. Uh, so we took a test and it was like barely slight. Like if you've ever done a pregnancy test, you're like, dang it, are we pregnant or not? Uh, it felt like that when we tested. And so, you know, before I went to the doctor, I'm like, man, my, my back hurts, my chest, my chest and my back. Like, uh, like I'm Friday, um, if you've ever seen the movie. And I'm hurting. And then 
I get, I, I get on website. Don't go to WebMD. Um, it's probably not worth it. Uh, try to do a teledoc because I was like, I'm dead. Like, I'm going to die. I need to go to the hospital. Something's wrong. And I didn't know I was a hypochondriac until I got on there. And, and oh, my gosh. So thankfully, the doctor was like, this is what we're seeing back, lower back. That I wasn't coughing. No fever. And he was like, we got to get you some medicine to break that up, or it could turn into pneumonia, so we need to take care of that. So all that to say, we were out, and uh, sad to miss everybody, sad to miss kind of Christmas and stuff, but it wasn't really resting, man, because you're just recovering the whole time, but glad to be out and about. My wife this morning's like, this is the first time I've put makeup on in three weeks. This is weird, and so we're out. We're here. We're good. We're good. We quarantined long enough, but I know with all that said, I know a lot of people ended up um, with, with COVID. And right now, I mean, you know, we live in America, which we proclaim ourselves to be number one Olympics and everything. We're number one America, and we are number one. We hit number one uh, COVID cases in the world, um, one million in one day, which is exciting. Good job, everybody. Um, and I say that, obviously, in jest, because the, the real tragedy is that some people are experiencing much worse symptoms. Some people are really struggling. Some people we've lost and some friends and family people I've talked to that, that they've lost even some young 20, 30-year-olds. So it's true. We're in a pandemic. We know this. And uh, we want to continue to be diligent and vigilant with all the things that we're doing. In fact, in case you don't know, when everything started about two years ago for us, we started a medical advisory team. Because guess what? I did not go to med school. I'm a pastor. Uh, I know my lane, and the best thing about being a leader, the smartest thing about being a leader, is you get people in the room that are smarter than you, especially about different things. Uh, If you're the smartest person in the room, you're probably not a great leader. And so for me, it's been my passion, and, and, and I was very happy to be able to do it, is to call on, being in the really close to the med center here, call on a lot of our medical professionals and ask them, what do you think we should do? And we established a medical advisory team about two years ago at the beginning of this to say, we need your help. We need your advice. We're not trying to do this on ourselves. We're not trying to listen to politicians. We're not trying to listen to this or that. We want to hear from the medical professors that are the professionals that are on the ground, that are doing the work, that are hearing, that are doing the things. And so we established that team. We were meeting weekly for a while, and then we started going biweekly, and then we started going monthly. And we're still meeting with them to this day, in case you don't know, because we haven't talked about this in a while. But with the new year and with Omicron and all this kind of stuff, the transformer that came onto the United States and global-wide in order to kind of expedite this virus even more so in everybody, I wanted to just give a a quick um, thought to where we are and what we're doing and let you guys know what we were positioning ourselves to do. And I'll do it with this idea. We say at our church, we are Christ-centered, spirit-empowered and socially responsible. In fact, we say the type of disciples we're trying to make are those that are Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible. For us, a part of social responsibility has and has been playing a role in how we do and how we act as a church with safety first. Not because we don't have faith, not because we're trying to be, uh, have tyranny over people and what they do, but we've felt the responsibility of the social world. When we talked to our medical advisors and initially when we said, how long are we going to have to incubate? How long are we going to have to mask? How long are we going to have to have the protocols that we have until we go back to some kind of normal? And initially, their response was, until we have vaccinations, which could take a while, 
or until we have herd immunity, which would take at least two years. And of course, we know all the political things and where we are now, whether you're vax, anti-vax, all that kind of stuff. Me and my family chose from our own personal convictions and through the data that we saw to get vaccinated. Whether you like that or not, it's not your problem. Uh, we don't take a position here. We think it's wise to do it, but we will not hold you as immoral or we don't call it a morality thing with us. I will say that because we are not going to discredit people that choose not to. In the same way, we're not going to elevate people that choose to as some moral stance because our morality comes from the one who sacrifices life for us. Not what we do, but what he's done. And this is why we haven't said a lot about this. However, we do want to, if you want to talk to me personally about why and that kind of stuff, let's do that. We don't use this place to uh, do anything but preach the gospel and the love of God and who he is. So we don't take a stance based on politics or anything like that. Um, with that being said, at some point we've been having the conversation, at what point does this issue go from a social responsibility issue to a personal responsibility issue? And for us, it was when we have full-on vaccinations or herd immunity. Herd immunity hasn't happened. We've gotten the closest to full-on vaccinations except for those under five. And so going into this new year, we were fully prepared. We were about to unleash in mid-January to say first service is masks still because we want to protect our kids and be social responsibility against the vulnerable that can't. But second service, we were going to open up for optional, which doesn't mean don't. It just if you want to, you can't because we feel like we're getting to the point of personal responsibility. All that to say, welcome to our world, constant adjustments, Omicron hit, and the social responsibility because it's so prevalent and way more moving, even though it's not as severe that we see, we still feel the level of social responsibility at this point. But I say that to say, we're looking forward to, hopefully, uh, some doctors even calling this the endemic. I read an article about this from uh, substantial medical professionals because it is not getting lower into the lungs and all that kind of stuff. It is more of an upper respiratory. And so less people, although more people are getting it, less people are going to the hospital and dying from it, which could be maybe the grace of God just to get us moving forward back. That's my hope. That's my prayer. And I just wanted to give you that update that we're staying with the protocols we have right now because of social responsibility, but we are looking forward to hopefully soon, once things go back down and, and we're better, that we are going to lean more into personal responsibility. Just like in the same way, I can't govern whether you put your seatbelt on your way to church. Um, we're not going to try to govern all of those things, exception of with our kids and when we have kids ministry. Does that make sense? Big, big thing. Just wanted to make sure you understand. Yeah, thanks. Uh, make sure you understand the why and, and that we're a church that listens and has advice. We have a building advisory team. We have a medical advisory team. We have a financial advisory team in case you don't know. So people outside of just me and our staff or elders looking at the finances to make sure we are above board and legit because we are not afraid of accountability. And in fact, we welcome it. So we wanted to just let you guys know a little bit about that. Without further ado, I'm going to dive into the word today. We are starting a brand new series for the rest of this month. And the series is called Abide. Um, Elder Jay Ross, who put the Ross in generosity, he talked a little bit about abide and what that means. The word literally means to remain in. It means, I like this, it means that something has established itself permanently within my soul. It's equivalent to persevering. The same kind of connotation in Genesis when God says, the man will leave and cleave 
So there's this idea of cleaving, holding fast, remaining in, continuing in, and cleave to his wife, remain in. It's a relational term that we're going to look at these next several weeks just to see what does it mean to abide with God. And listen, we don't do it as if uh, uh, he owes us something. We do it because he first came and remained with us his presence with us. He came to us. Today, we're going to talk about this idea that the word became flesh. The words of scripture became human. It's this idea in theology, a theological term called incarnate, which a good way to think about it is carne, like meat, in meat. God came in flesh, in meat, as a person. And it's beautiful why he came. We're going to look at John chapter 1 and look at several verses in John chapter 1. If you've been with us for a while, been in our church for a while, been online for a while, we spent two summers going through verse by verse the book of John. And we've actually created a devotional book with the devotions on that that's coming out very, very soon. You can buy, you can actually get it on Amazon right now if you'd like. It's really, really powerful. And a lot of our writers and great teachers in this church help us orchestrate that from the sermons and everything that we were doing for two summers. So we're not going to go straight through verse by verse because we've already done some of that. But I want to highlight and look at this idea of the word becoming flesh and what our author, John, who was an apostle, wrote about it. Now, if you look at the Bible, you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and those are called the synoptic gospels because there's a symmetry to them. There's a sameness to them. John is very different. Not that there's not symmetry because we do believe, although you might feel like or think think that the Bible is contradictory, it actually is not It is very much coalesced and works together with the same imagery. It's us that have to change and shape to the plumb line of the scripture, not the other way around. And John is not that it's not symmetric, but his whole goal wasn't just to espouse of the credibility and historical narrative of Jesus. His goal, and he says it himself, was to make him known as divine, that God is with us, and this is how he portrayed himself, so that we see this beautiful characteristic of God in order to place our trust in Jesus. So let's start in John chapter one and read along with me as we read. It says this, in the beginning, does that sound like any other beginning? The word was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, 
nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is a powerfully penned word. So many times I think we can get in in the Bible or read the Bible depending on how you interpret it or what you believe about the Bible. And we could just kind of look at it as just this familiar thing, or maybe you've been at church a long time, you've read those verses before, you've seen it, and, and it just grows familiar. One of the things I love about the freshness of a new year, even just writing 2022 on a check or on a, on a, on a form, is the newness of it. It's new. It's fresh. We've never experienced this before. And whether you're, you're like so frustrated with your past resolutions or your past ideas or your past goals and all that kind of stuff, so you're just apathetic towards the whole thing, I, I want to encourage you not only refresh and have this as an opportunity to kind of look at your life like a compass and like, where am I heading? Where, is, where does the magnet go? Does it go true north? which I believe is seeking first God and his kingdom? Or am I really after all of the things? Because he promises if I reevaluate and look at my life and head to north, all those other things will be added. And really, they'll be added in the way that I need them, not in a disordered way that's going to harm me. This is the beauty of a freshness of a new year to be able to say, God, what are you doing? This is why we do this fast in the beginning of the year because it repositions, recalibrates ourselves to say, what am I really after? What am I here for? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Otherwise, we're so distracted, so all over the place, and we don't stop to reflect. We're going to talk about this a little bit tonight, but the idea of prayer, fasting, consecration is, is the idea of not just living in my life, but getting on top of my life. You know what I'm saying? If you're just in it, it's like being in the battlefield and you're just fighting off all of these things. I'm just in it. If you don't take the time to get away and get on it, you don't necessarily know where you're going or what you're doing or you're just being led by all of these other things. This is a good time to go, God, you first. God, before I make a resolution, before I do anything, what do you want to do? Where are you going? What we see in these scriptures this idea abide, this idea that God would come down and be with us is some things that John, I believe, reveals to us about the nature of God. And the first thing we see about the nature of God is it says, in the beginning. I like this. I think as John's going, how can I express who God is in a fresh way that is not already written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which were letters to the church to express and letters to people to express who Jesus was. How can I do this in a fresh way? And I think it's interesting. They thought, you know, in Genesis, it started and pinned, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we know there was a beginning. We know God is before beginning. 
and he's there and he creates us, everything we see. And I think John is going, I want people to understand the divinity of Christ in the sense that, penned through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, in the beginning was God, was the Word. And there was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's very explicit right away that Jesus is not just anybody else, but Jesus is the flesh of God. Jesus is God. And God previously to this had met with people and talked with people and had set course with his word. And we need that word. We need those instructions. And he set forth his commandments. But listen, what's better than just the written word is the 3D image of that person, of that actual word of who God is, and Jesus is the first demonstration of who God is because God is now with us as we just celebrated in Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us, God made flesh. And the first thing we see about God in this passage that we just read out of three is this. This reveals in the nature of God that the creator of all things desires to be near. Have you ever gone into a room or maybe here for the first time, maybe you're visiting online and it's like you want to observe from afar something, but you don't want to draw near because nearness involves a little bit more of you. It, it involves a little bit more from you. It involves an area where you have to become or potentially become more vulnerable or susceptible to somebody else's influence or ideas. We can look at things from afar like we do and people do with celebrity worship and they see somebody and watch them so much that they almost feel a part of them. But if they actually drew near, that person would have no idea who they were because they did not draw near. And you can't really know someone until you get near them. For instance, let's say you have a crush, you have somebody and you see them at Starbucks on your normal routine. If you go to Starbucks and actually budget in your life for that, uh, you go every day and you see this person, there's something intriguing about them and you're looking and you're just like, there's something about and you're not stalking them, but you're just intrigued by them and you see them and you notice they, they, they get this coffee at this time and they wear these outfits and you notice maybe you've even passed by and you've seen like their computer or whatever, and they're on Facebook or they're on uh, TikTok or whatever they're on, and you're, you're starting to observe things about them to get to know them. Maybe you've gone on a dating app and you're kind of reading about that person and getting to know them, but listen, you are limited until you draw near to actually have a conversation and get words from them. Because you can observe a lot of things from afar like people do about God and what we've done for centuries. People have all these different ideas of God. In fact, the, the book of Romans said you're going to get some idea of God just by looking at creation because no, no artist is exactly like his creation, but it can be a part of who he is or it gives you symbols of who he is, but there's no creation without a creator ultimately. And we can get an idea, maybe God is like this because I see this tree or I see the sunrise. God is beauty or God is fearful because I look in space and I'm afraid. And why would he create black holes? I don't know. Why are mosquitoes alive? Why is going on? Like you could come up and observe this is who God is. And all these people would say, this is who God is. And people would write things down and say, this is who God is because he talked to me and then he told me. And God says, well, I'm going to come down and show you. And aren't you thankful 
So it's not just good ideas or clever things constricted by man that want to have power and authority over you and rule over you because everybody's going to believe something at the end of the day. But it's a God who says, let me show you. Let's play a little show and tell because I've been showing you. You've gotten it wrong. Even my people have gotten it wrong. And he says, so I'm going to draw near to you. Here's the scary thing about drawing near to somebody. You've heard of the idea that if someone's like drowning in the ocean or in the water, a lot of times people are fearful to go help them, especially the ocean, because they could drag you down with them. They could kill you, and it's dangerous. You better have some kind of tool, some kind of floating device, or be trained, because you could die going to them because they are drowning in that position. Let me tell you, God is not looking at us from afar and going, no, I'm good. He's not just looking at his survival instincts and going, no, 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 I could die. In fact, here's the thing about God. He knows when he leaves heaven to earth, he will die. How many of us, if we saw somebody drowning, you'd have two instincts. You'd immediately have the instinct of, no, don't, self-preservation, you could die. The second instinct is, no, but this is the right thing to do. You have the image of God, the Imago Dei, a conscious in you that says, but this is right, and it supersedes kind of my initial, what is called your flesh. It supersedes, it's a higher law, a conscious that is given to you, and you know you should do it, even at the sacrifice of yourself, and you do that in a split second, you have to decide and you go and you do it. And you're always going, surely I can help, surely I can help. If you knew you were going to go and you were going to die, you probably wouldn't do it. And yet we have a God that says, I see you and I'm going to go to you and I'm going to save you, but it's going to cost me my life. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of God I want to abide with. That's the kind of God that draws me because he came near first. I'm not climbing this mountain to do perfect things for God. He comes down the mountain to me. That's the kind of God that says, now I'll climb any mountain. Man, I want to get near to that kind of person because they want to be near to me. Maybe you've come in here for the first time or you're online for the first time and you're like, that pastor, he doesn't know me. He doesn't care about me. Listen, I try really hard to be a consistent person. How I am right now, this is how I am all the time. I'm telling you, ask anybody. This is me. I, I want to get to know you. We want to have things to draw near, but you can't from afar and be like, no, I'm good. And yet still be an observation. And I think there's a season for that and good as trust is built. But let me tell you, there's no greater trust built than not just words, but deeds. And that's what Jesus came to do. John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled, tinted among us. And he we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The beautiful thing about this is the guy who penned this is saying, no, I've seen him. And it was beautiful. And my life has changed. Psalm 113, 5 through 6 says this, who is like the Lord our God? The, the answer is no one. Who is enthroned on high? Think about this. Think about any authority in your life that has the ability to fire you, to hire you, to harm you, to give you a raise, authority figure that has, like a president that has the ability to use government or police against you, that kind of authority. Who is enthroned on high? And this is the highest kind of high, the highest authority, and I love it, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. Authority with that much power that humbles himself. That's someone worth getting near to because he's willing to come near to us. John reveals this characteristic of God and this nature of God 
in that the creator of all things desires to be near, but also, number two, the creator of all things desires to be known. What's interesting is I could meet you after this and like we desire to hang out after here to get to know you, to be near you, not just from afar and say, hey, come to church, come do our thing. But no, we, we, we want to be near you because our God came near to us. So we want to be near you. But I can also put up a wall of known. I don't want to be known. Have you ever been around people that you just don't really care to know? I'm going to out myself. I doubt they watch this, but my, not, not my, I love my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, which my autistic son calls your law dad. Your law, that's your law dad. And your law mom. It's so funny. So he, he texts me like, happy anniversary, law son. It's hilarious. This is how we talk. And I love them and I want to be near them. I want to be known by them. I want to go to their house, but oftentimes we'll go there for Christmas and we didn't get to this year. And then they will take us to their extended family. And I don't really love doing that. I'm just being honest. Because I'm going, I I don't really know these people. I don't mind being near, but I don't really want to be known. So it's not a place where I feel safe and comfortable to be able to go, here's where I am, here's who I am, here's all I am. It's like if you have your first date and the first thing the person's just like, here's all my sins, here's everything, here's when we're gonna get married, here's where our kids are gonna be named, run. Like there's a time and a place you draw near and then the next step is to be known, but that knownness realistically has to come from a place of vulnerability and trust. So it's like, oh great, God drew near, Jesus came down, okay. But the crazy thing about God is, He wants to be known. The reason why he came is so you and I could go, there's no one like you. I've I've met a ton of people. I follow this person, these influencers, these things, and you are altogether different. You know, that's what the word holiness is. Set apart, altogether different. But holiness shouldn't contrive this idea of just you should be bad. Holiness is beautiful. There's a mystery and a beauty and an intrigue that I got to get to know more because you're different than everybody else. And he says, I'm going to expose myself and be vulnerable to show you that person. I'm going to show you to the extent where we see a Jesus born as a baby, fully vulnerable, fully known, growing in stature and wisdom with God and man, the Bible says. And then he ends this life hanging, by the way, naked. We don't show this in our movies, thank God. Naked on a cross, saying words like, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's fully known. In scripture, we just read it, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Not only does God, we see the characters of God that he wants to draw near. He wants to be known and listen. He wants to know you as well. And as you get to know him, what's beautiful is the intrigue, the beauty. You start to become who you behold. The more you focus on this person or this Kardashian sister, the more you find yourself thinking and acting like them the more you focus on who Jesus is and the nearness and the knownness of him, I find in myself acting like him because I'm enamored by who he is. 
and the fact that this God would want to make himself known. Listen, you know that takes vulnerability. That takes openness. And that says something about the supreme, powerful God. Imagine someone in your context at your workplace, someone you idolize, worship. I'd love to meet this person. I'd love to sit down with this person for 30 minutes. In all of world history, the thing is, they have to want to sit down with you. They have to want to talk to you. They have to want to abide with you. And we see a God that does. And I don't know about you, but that opens my heart to trust him more and then shifts my feet to do the same for others. What does this reveal about the nature, nature of God? Not only the creator of all things desires to be near, he desires to be known, but finally, he desires to be received. And I would say this is very even, there's progress to this. You can go near someone and say, I don't care if I get a disease, I don't care if I don't really like you, but I'm going to draw near a little closer and not just from afar. Now I'm going to open myself up and let you know who I am a little bit more. But then this idea of reception, I think, is the final step of humility. And the thing that's hard about this is that if you open yourself up to being received, you're also opening yourself up to being rejected. John 1.12 says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This doesn't mean everybody is a child of God. In some sense, yes, because we are created by God. But our going our own way and saying, I don't want to have anything to do with you separated us from that. And it's Jesus that had to come to adopt us back. So it says not everybody is a child of God. It says everyone who receives. Receives what? says just some simple prayer, no, receives that this Jesus is the very image of God, is God who came down to do what I could never do, die the death that I should have died and live the life that I should live. I put my trust in him through drawing near to him because he drew near to me. I put my assurance in him through getting to know him as he knows me and now I'm putting my faith in him by receiving him and not rejecting, although many rejected. And we see this, not only the nature of God, but the nature of man as we close up. John 1, 10, 11, right before this verse, he says, he was in the world, Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. You think you've dealt with rejection, there's no worse rejection than your own child who you conceive, take care of, and they leave. This is the whole point of the scripture in essence. It's that God created, we rebelled and left, but instead of God going fine, he comes down to draw near, to be known, and to be received. We have this thing about being able to receive him. And listen, the way you receive God isn't like any other thing. Because John said earlier that we read that we don't receive out of our own will, our own volition. I'm just going to be a better me today, and I'm going to receive God in a new way. We don't receive, it says, out of blood. In other words, you're not born into Christianity. You're not born into just believing. Anybody, I was, I was watching this documentary on HBO not too long ago about this kind of cult leader person. And her whole testimony was like, I've just always loved God. Run. Run from that person. 
That the God that you've created is you. I'm telling you. Because I can honestly say, I didn't always love God. I was mad at God. I blamed God for everything. And what I had to come to the conclusion was, was that he was good and I was wrong. I'm seeing wrong. Because I'm not a person that would sacrifice my life. And now I'm not working and earning my way to God, and so therefore I'm receiving God. Listen, I receive because I've been received. I receive because of the works that Jesus has done, not because of my works. And now, listen, all those other reasons as to why I was serving God or doing for God was all reciprocal selfishness. This is what the outside world sees about religion. Well, the only reason why you serve God and go to church and give tithes and do your thing is because you're trying to earn your way. You're trying to be a good person. You're trying to get good things from God. And so in the end, it's selfish. And guess what? That's true. It's transactional. God, I'm going to do this, so you're going to bless my life. God, I'm going to read the Bible, so you're going to help me and succeed. God, I'm going to serve other people, so I will be served. And it's reciprocal, but it's selfish. Jesus, Christianity, is the only religion that says we don't do it to get it. We do it because he's given it to us. The motive has to be love. I receive what Jesus has done for me, and it's so amazing. I'm not familiar. I'm so enamored. I'm not inoculated. It's so powerful that a God would do this while I was a sinner. Christ died. For his enemies, he would come. That's so revolutionary. I don't just now, oh, I got to earn it. You've done it? I just receive. It's a gift. And it's so amazing that now, listen, does that mean we don't do anything? We just go, hey, I'm just going to live my life? No, because I'm so loved. And it's demonstrated, not just told. That love encourages me. Now I want to do whatever because I've been loved, I want to love. This is what it means to abide, to remain, to stay in, and this is pivotal. Here's the question. Great, Chris, what what do you want us to do? What do we do? How do we apply this? The beautiful thing about our church, and one thing I love about our church is we have our daily devotionals from Stefan, our leader, who does a great job, and other people that teach. And every week, like, I get to preach a message, and then they get to take it. And in our starter, clcstarter.com, you can see applications. How can I apply this every day? Get involved with that. Get in your word. We, our goal is to supply tools to help you understand, love God, get in community. Let's go. And one of the biggest things that we get to do every year is this abide. And you have this. There's some misprints. I apologize on the back of this, but this is our fasting schedule. And we're going to encourage you no matter what you do. We don't, we're not super religious about it. You have to do it this way. Maybe it's one meal a day and maybe you just take your lunch and you're going to pray. Slow down this week. Get with community this week, and we're providing live service tonight, 5 p.m. to kickstart us. Tomorrow, nothing, but then we have Zoom Tuesday and Thursday. We have live services Wednesday and Friday. And let me say, if you could be at any of them, come. They'll be online. We'll have Zoom. But let me tell you, taking the time just to say, a God that would do this, not because I'm trying to get something from God, but because he's so amazing, how can I not give my life, my love, my all? We like to say this in fasting. We say this every year. 
just to remind you, we don't fast so God can hear us better. We're not, oh God, I just gotta sacrifice, beat myself, God, so you can hear my cries. That's not why we fast in Jesus. We fast so that we can hear him better. Something about separating yourself, depriving yourself of certain things to focus. And I'm telling you, God's voice becomes audible this season after you get past the hunger pains or whatever you do. Maybe it's social media, maybe whatever the vice or the thing is, maybe that can distract you or control you or has a grip on you. Take time to say, I'm not going to do that and I'm going to seek God instead. I like this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer as we wrap up. He says, if there's no element of asceticism in our lives, if we give free reign to the desires of the flesh, taking care, of course, to keep within the limits of what seems permissible to the world, we shall find it hard to train for service of Christ. When the flesh is satisfied, it is hard to pray with cheerfulness or to devote oneself to a life of service which calls for much self-renunciation. The upside-down way of the world is through a heart of love to a God that I trust because he's drawn near, he's made known, and he wants to be received, to receive him, to move forward towards him. We'll take some self-renunciation of things that I love in order to get the thing that it's the deepest love. And that's what we wanna challenge you to. Maybe you're like, well, I'm just not gonna do it this week. I love Dwight L. Moody, great pastor, said this and theologian. If you say I will fast when God lays it on my heart, you never will. You are too cold and indifferent to take the yoke upon you. I mean, hey, truth hurts sometimes. And it's true. And this is a time, yes, we believe in private fasting and all that in prayer, of course, but there's also corporate fasting and corporate prayer. This is our time to do it. Here's our schedule. We have a book to help you go through it, um, not only spiritually, but physically to help you. And we want to tool you and have a great fast together. Let's dive into our communion as we close today. And we're going to end worshiping our amazing, amazing God who's holy and beautiful. We get the opportunity every week to end our service and the hearing of the word of God by doing something that Jesus established. Instead of the sacrifices of bulls and goats and sheep, he established a brand new sacrament, a brand new way that the church, the beauty of it, you could do this as a church body. We could do it almost any time, almost anywhere. And it's the idea of the bread and the wine. The bread demonstrating and reminding us, because I don't know about you, we need, I need to be reminded of the broken body of Jesus. While I'm frustrated or my body is broken or the world is broken, I'm reminded that God is not just up there waiting on something, but he already came down and broke himself. This allows me to go, okay, I can break. I can humble myself for someone else. I can break in this moment and be honest and vulnerable for a God who knows what it means to be broken. This is why he says, this is my body. Eat this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. And he didn't stop there. The second thing, of course, is the wine or the grape juice for us. Is not only does he have a broken body, but the, the Bible says the blood is the life. We know this with blood transfusion, bringing new life into someone the blood is the life force of God that he not only broken in his flesh and is outward the thing that we're trying to preserve and not get harmed at all. He chose to do it, but then he also gives us life 
a new DNA, a new spiritual family, and we need to be reminded of that because this communion time is private, but it's also very public in the sense that I think about everybody around here in the community that we have. We have community, and I suffer with this person that I struggle with, or I suffer with this person that I disagree with because Jesus suffered with me and loves me. So as a community, he says, take the blood which was shed for us. Let's take it. God, we bless you. We thank you. Order our life. Cure our disorders. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand as we worship together?